0: If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir, it's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello, friends, neighbors, countrymen, distinguished colleagues. Uh, We are here again for yet another Heretic Happy Hour podcast, and uh, oh my gosh, Get ready, because this is going to be a really good one. Um, Very excited about all the stuff that's coming up. Uh, But quickly, we're going to introduce ourselves. Uh, My name is Keith Giles. I am the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. Uh, You can also follow my blog at KeithGiles.com. And um, I am joined by my co-hosts and fellow heretics, uh, Jamal and Matt. Why don't you guys say hi and introduce yourselves?
1: Hi, this is Jamal Javanji. And... We're recording this on Valentine's Day, so obviously we're, we're probably not going to hear it on Valentine's Day. But just want to say Happy Valentine's Day to all the lovers that are listening to this podcast. And Ooh, yeah. two years ago today, today two years ago, my book Free to Love was published with Choir. Mm-hmm. So I want to say Happy Birthday to my daughter, Free to Love.
2: Aww. Uh, yeah and I didn't know it was released on Valentine's Day that's clever. Um I, this is Matt DiStefano author of uh the forthcoming book Heretic uh will be out on Choir Publishing and uh you can follow me on uh, on Pathos so please and Keith too right right Keith Yes uh, yes that's yes. right my man so yeah subscribe to our blogs on Pathos all set free and Keith Giles Um yeah I'm really excited to get into this but before we do I got to nail this our, uh, our sponsor, because obviously, I've been fucking it up for a while. So let me get into it. Unfundamentalist is a group focused on following Jesus' commands to, commandments to love God and neighbor and is dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. Find them online, and I'm going to get this, facebook.com forward slash unfundamentalist. Yes. Or read their blog at unfundamentalists.com. Yes. Got it. Did Good I get job, it? Pat. <laughs> Thank Yo, it took 15
0: <laughs> episodes. And we got
2: it. Finally.
1: Yeah. And I, I have an announcement I'd like to make, if that's OK. Of course. Um, yes. Yeah. We'd like to uh, just announce to our listeners that we have uh, created a heretic hotline, heretic happy hour hotline for people to to call in. And you can call this number, you can text it, it's totally free. And we will get those. Uh, you know, I've actually talked to a few listeners recently that were like, "Hey, I should." They're like, "They're like, hey, I should call in and say this. I should call in and say that." And I'm like, "Yeah, please do. Like, you're free. Like, totally calling." So here's the number. If you guys want to get your chalk and your chalkboards ready, here's the number. It is two four zero. The number three heresy, or for those with non rotary phones, two four zero three four three seven three. 7, 9. Again, that's 240 343 7379. Call, text. We love to hear from you guys. And we do have, I believe we have a, uh, can we queue up the voicemail? I think we do have a voicemail that came into the Heretic Hotline. This is an important point, I think. Remember, Jesus had boners. Stay woke, man. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, Thank you, caller, indeed. for that. Some, some caller you know and again this is the kind of things that you can leave on the voicemail but i think that's right i think the caller is making a point that jesus was a human being who had mm-hmm. a sex drive i think that's what he was trying to say so um because that's not a bad thing by the way that human beings our sexual beings with the sex drive? That's not actually a bad thing. I know that we've been repressed in that area in Christianity, but this caller is actually making a good point. He's
2: kind of being funny about it, but I think it's a good point. So, but where was where was the heresy uh, um, soundbite? Come on now, <laughs> that's not a heresy. Jesus had boners. That's that's offensive. That's so offensive. I would
1: say I it mean, differently.
2: <laughs> I might
1: say <laughs> it kidding. a little differently, but I see. I that's hear the sure. caller's point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's just me. Uh okay. So we also in addition to that voicemail, we au- we actually also have a text that was uh that came in through the through the internet. So the text or through the phone line. It says text came in. So can we key this text up? All right. Thank you to our engineer for that. So uh, let me uh, Who works on a typewriter. That's right. <laughs>
0: Cutting edge technology here
1: at the amazing. So, okay. So here's, here's the text from, uh, from a listener quote, Hey guys, as a gay Christian. <laughs> and in parentheses, that will cause some people's heads to explode. Ha ha. I want to thank you for guiding me to love Jesus even more and realize that there is acceptance for all people out here. I'm tired of the so-called Christian leaders hate towards LGBTQ people. Maybe I missed it, but does Jesus ever say hate people? I love your show. You guys are hilarious and can't get enough of the shocking news. You have a hotline (laughs) and then a hashtag beating the dead horse. So thank you. Uh, Thank you, uh, listener, for that, um, for that text. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a good thing to be accepted and loved. So yes, appreciate your your comment. Awesome, absolutely.
0: Well, hey, and it's also time for the heretic of the week. It's the heretic
3: of the week. Hi, I'm Benjamin El Corey, and I'm a heretic. Hi, hi ben. Benjamin. <laughs> What's going on,
2: guys? Hey, hi. Uh, we're really happy to have you on here, Ben. This is Matt here. Um, hey. Uh, let's let's just get right into it. And if you, I'm going My first question is, why do people? I'm assuming people do. Why do people consider you a heretic?
3: Sure. No, I think that's a good question. I mean, it's a little difficult on the onset in that the word heretic is, I think, ridiculously uh, overused in uh, modern modern use. Uh, certainly, if you go back to the original Greek, it you know meant one who was a divider. You know, ch- or chose. There's an ele- in the Greek word. There's an element of just really choosing deliberately to do it. It's not something that you do accidentally. But um, certainly in modern context, uh, you know, uh, you know, evangelicalism would consider, you know, those who are LGBT affirming or things like that to be heretics. But I think if they have their best shot with me to accuse me of legitimate, be able to burn me at the stake heresy, it would be that I uh, am a Marcy Nine, which is uh, simply untrue. Uh, And that is, you know, Marcion, of course, thought that, you know, the Old Testament and the New Testament gods are two totally different people, that the Old Testament essentially is junk, uh, and that the New Testament uh, is completely different. And so the way I approach interpreting the Old Testament and the way I take, you know, a a cruciform, Jesus-centered hermeneutic, um, where I believe that Jesus trumps anything else in the Bible um, where, that may seem to disagree with him, that may directly disagree with him, that may have tension. Um, I give prim- I have such a high Christology um, that I believe that Jesus even trumps the Bible. And so that quite often will get me accused of you know, Marcion's heresy. Um, however, I don't think people understand what he actually believed And what was actually condemned, uh, you know, adequately enough to throw around that word here in modern times today. Because I certainly affirm that the Old Testament is inspired and useful, um, which is what Timothy, the book of Timothy calls it. And so uh, that, to me, does not make me a heretic. But it's certainly one of the one of the accusations that gets thrown at me the most.
2: Right. And that's that's interesting you say that. I think it was. Did we have Marcion as our first heretic a week in, in episode one, guys? Yeah, I think you was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it's it is so true that any any time someone talks about what you just talked about Ben, it's like it's like we go all the way to Marcionism instead of that being like orthodox christianity, right? Right. Right. Well, Ben, uh this is uh Jamal here by the way. It's,
1: Jamal? A, it's Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the Heretic happy hour, and great. You know, I'm really excited about getting to know you better and your work. And uh, I guess the second question um, that I would have for you would be, um, and this is actually something I think a lot of us have, uh, mm-hmm. have, have went through, but it's a typical that when we are coming out of, you know, what's considered evangelical Christianity or, you know, traditional Christianity, that, you know, obviously there's an unlearning process and a deconstruction process sure. um, that happens. And so I'm just curious as to, what that process has been like for you? How how did you uh, get into your deconstruction process?
3: Yeah, that's a really great question. I think for me, my deconstruction process probably kicked off oh somewhere around uh, 2007 or eight back in the emergent church days uh, or the emerging church. There always used to be a date, whether it was a, a debate over it was emerging or emergent. That's right. Um, So, for me, um, I started to kind of realize that I was dissatisfied with the faith structure that I had uh, around that time. Um, But I didn't really know what to do with it. And then uh, around 2008, 2009, I went to uh, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, which is where I did my first round of graduate work before doing my doctorate at Fuller. Uh, And during my time at um, Gordon Conwell, um, things just really, there's just so many different dominoes that fell. Uh, in that uh, it was, you know, and it's interesting that my deconstruction happened at such a solidly evangelical school. Uh, and I think it, um, I think that makes it all the better that it occurred there uh, in that, you know, even though it was solidly evangelical, they had, you know, over a hundred different denominations represented uh, among the student body and among the faculty. And of course, I had grown up being taught that anybody that didn't believe what we believed were heretics, that these people were insane. And, uh, you know, that some of them, you know, had demons inside of them, like people who spoke in tongues. And so, uh, in my early days at Gordon Conwell, I quickly came to see that there were people from some radically different faith traditions than my own who like really sincerely loved Jesus. Uh, and, um, for me, at first it was kind of almost like tolerating them until my own faith structure kind of began to tumble. And I think that actually first started out with eschatology. Um, You know, I had no idea that uh, not every Christian believed in, uh, you know, the the modern end times movement and raptures and tribulations and things like that. Uh, And so it was really only a week or two in the seminary When I started to realize that I was now in the minority, that even like the solidly evangelical place was highly skeptical of the entire end times narrative, Um, and I, I was I was honestly shocked. And so I realized that I started to have to you know kind of slowly rethink everything. And of course, I did my first master's in theology, my second in. Uh, world missions, uh, and then my doctorate in intercultural studies. Uh, And during my time, you know, especially in theology, I just found so many things uh, where I was like, oh my gosh, not only might I be wrong, but this other answer might be an even better answer, Uh, or especially throughout the process of learning Greek. uh, And as I had to, you know, become a translator of the Bible, realizing even in my best attempt um, how the different things flavored my interpretation choices, um, how different words may have you know, 17 possible different ways to translate it depending on what the author's intent was and where you just really have to do your best and, and you know, you're not sure. So through all that, I, it, it, at first it wasn't so much deconstruction as it was like I had humility for the first time in my life. And so it was that humility that put me in a place where I could kind of start to relearn. Um, but certainly um, throughout that process, dissatisfaction with uh, where evangelicalism was headed set in, um, dissatisfaction with, um, you know, the ecclesiology and the missiology of the, the current, you know, the modern church in America and how they approach uh, church structure, how they approach the mission of the church, All those things that dissatisfaction uh, stepped in, and you know, each one became another domino that led me further down the line of really deconstructing so much of of what I had. Um, But even with all my deconstruction, there's still parts of me that are very solidly evangelical. um, And and, you know, I think it's important to not throw the baby out with the bathwater, it's a really um, easy thing to do, especially within the progressive Christianity wing of things. Um, It just becomes easy to. Really easy to vilify uh, everything about them, whoever them it happens to be that day. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm trying not to do that. In that there's much of my evangelical past that I am deeply appreciative appreciative of, and much of it that um, I still believe.
0: Yeah, um, I was. This is Keith. I, I was curious. You know, so you, you're telling this uh, story, and and um, and here, you know, here you were at a at a seminary uh, for a, at, at an evangelical you know, Christian school. Um, why is it, do you think that you had that experience, but not, not everyone did, or do you think maybe some people like you did, um, have a bit of a wake up call, uh, but then just didn't fully embrace it. I mean, what do you think is going on there?
3: Well, I I think number one, um, an individual has to be willing. I think, um, When I came into seminary, I was coming in with the idea of having every belief I had ever held confirmed for me and and learning how to argue it better. You know, it's almost like I was going to school to learn apologetics. Um, And so I think every individual is different in that I knew plenty of people who came out of seminary exactly the same way they went in. Um, And it was just because their mindset was, I already know what I believe. I'm not going to change my mind. And so you have what they call a confirmation bias where you only consume information that supports what you already think. Um, So I suppose what was different for me was that I set aside my confirmation bias on a thousand different things and started consuming information that didn't necessarily line up with my preconceived notions, and that just radically changed me in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, I find people go through transitions all the time at seminary, but I think it's not even so much about the seminary as much as it is the person, because even in a solidly evangelical seminary, there is much, much diversity of information to take in. Um, I mean, we had classes that came from you know radical Calvinist perspective and then classes that came from an Armenian perspective. So you know, it really depends what information you choose to consume. And I chose to consume a lot of different information and to allow that to influence me.
1: That's great. That's great. Ben, I had a, a question about um, something you mentioned about like, obviously, um, people are deconstructing evangelicalism. And you said it's important not to throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, um, you said that there's some things that you still firmly hold to that are evangelical in nature. Um, I'm just curious as to what some of those things are. What 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 uh, is the baby, so to speak, that you're careful not to throw out?
3: Yeah, so um, definitely a high Christology uh, in that, you know, I affirm, you know, that, you know, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, um, you know, I don't cross over into, um, you know, that it was just some kind of mystical, you know, resurrection. Um, I still affirm the virgin birth, which which I actually think is an important, you know, uh, historical Christian confession. Um, certainly, um, I believe that evangelicals have a high view of scripture and for as much criticism as I get to the opposite, um, I still hold that high view of scripture. I just, I just deal with scripture in a slightly different way, but I honestly take scripture far more seriously, um, than I did when I I was in that camp. And, um, and I certainly, uh, love and admire and even miss how evangelicals worship, uh, nothing for me has ever compared to worshiping in you know a semi-charismatic evangelical church that's just a, a part of me that would never go away and so um, you know i think depending how i guess depending how you would even define evangelical i probably can meet a criteria um, in that you know i believe that uh, that jesus is the way and obviously want to teach other people to follow that way uh, it, however it's the modern evangelical movement has gotten so hung up on a couple of different issues where they're typically wrong, uh, it's become so married to nationalism, uh, secular politics, and things like that uh, that those things are really uh, the reasons why I've left. If you can rewind the clock and go back to evangelicalism the way it was in the mid-1800s, I'm still solidly evangelical. Uh, they had an op- really super optimistic outlook on eschatology in the future. Um, they believed in being socially useful. I mean, uh, I had an interview earlier today where I was talking about how, you know, even the people that now would be considered fundamentalists, like Charles Grandison Finney, who went around, you know, preaching these big tent revivals, even he preached, you know, personal conversion followed by the need to become socially useful. Um, and, um, we just almost kind of missed that in some different ways. So I I honestly, I missed the old Evangelicalism that existed a long time ago.
2: Um, hey, Ben, you, you mentioned eschatology. Um, do you, do you remember an article that you wrote where you, uh, I think you referenced something that I wrote on universalism in the early church?
3: Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. You wrote a good piece and I did uh, 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 a piece in responding to that. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I loved your piece, by the way. Y- there's one word that you put in italics that I was wondering uh, what your thought process was on that. Do you remember what that word was? You said, I'm not a universalist yet. Uh, um, can I ask you about that? Were you just trying to be provocative or uh, were you? Because <laughs> I, lo- I actually loved that. I laughed when you, when you wrote that.
3: Uh, no, I-, I put that in italics in that Ah, so yeah, this is a difficult thing. You know, I consider myself a hopeful universalist in that um, nothing would make me celebrate the character and the nature of god more than finding out that universalism was true if it is a christocentric universalism um and certainly that is like the only type of universalism i would be open to believing i'm I'm not just you know in uh you know not you know just unitarianism or, or any other kind of belief system where just everything is equal and there's just you know all trails lead to the top of the mountain Uh, Which I like what my friend, you know, Broxy said about that, you know, that idea, you know, fails because it assumes that God's up on the mountain and, you know, know, that we have to go find him. Um, But, um, you know, I, at at the time being, um, I still um, hold to the uh, theology of annihilation. Uh, That is where I have been for quite some time. Uh, And obviously I've written extensively on the issue of annihilationism. Uh, and um, the thing where I think my argument with annihilationism has the edge over universalism um, is that certainly it makes sense of some passages that um, I haven't seen a Christian Universalist uh, really convince me on yet, but I'm open to it. Um, however, what the edge I believe annihilation has is that only one person out of everyone who has ever lived, um, has to you know, be permanently lost for annihilationism to technically turn out to be true. Uh, annihilationism leaves open the door for postmodern repentance. It leaves open the door for um, hell being some sort of temporary refining process uh, where people can still repent and be reconciled to God through Christ. Uh, so I like, I like where I'm at in that it leaves open so many of the elements of universalism uh, that, um, that I hope are very, very true.
2: I like that answer. That's a good answer.
3: <laughs> yeah, but I but I am very very open to becoming a Christian universalist. If and this goes back oh, to where great. parts of me are still yeah. evangelical. Like I have such a high view of Scripture. Like I would need in my own conscience for some of those questions to be satisfied. But I'm open to them being satisfied. I'm open to being wrong.
2: Sweet. Sounds like I have some work to do. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Here we go. That's my next mission: is to convince uh, convince. Well, <laughs> Yeah, give us a list of those scriptures you want us to to uh answer. Okay. Well, hey, we're um, we really really got like we've got about 5 or 6 minutes left here, uh Ben, so can um mm-hmm. as much as I'm loving this conversation, we could probably go another 20 minutes just on this. Um can can I just ask you this about like what what new projects are you excited about and working on? I think I I saw that you have a book coming out or that is out. Uh let us know about that. What's that all about? Absolutely.
3: I could not be more excited that uh, my next book, uh, Unafraid, Moving Beyond Fear-Based Faith, uh, was released November 7th. And so uh, by the time you guys hear this, that should be available uh, wherever good books are sold. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you can actually get uh, signed copies. Uh, my friends at Barnes & Noble did a uh, signed copy edition that can be bought online. Uh, but certainly, wow. yeah, man. I spent my entire summer autographing plates for books to, for Barnes and Noble. There's like a giant stack. So yeah, so you guys, can, you can get autograph copy uh, nice. BarnesandNoble.com. But of course, uh, any of your local bookstores should carry it. Uh, but so yeah, I'm excited about that because that's been two years in the making.
2: Yeah, I've I've already I've already got it. And, uh,
3: wow, yeah. So great. tell us about that one. So yeah, my, well, my book, yeah, "Moving Beyond Fear-Based Faith," uh, is basically uh, growing. Uh, it's essentially how deconstructing without reconstructing uh, almost just destroyed me. Um, I had spent so many years deconstructing that I was left empty inside. And so I had to start asking a new set of questions um, because we spend so much time deconstructing. I don't think we ask, you know, the next set of questions, which is, well, if I don't believe that anymore, what do I believe? Um, So I sat down and I listed out what are all the things I don't believe? And if I don't believe that, what does that tell me I do believe? And so... You know, the book begins with, like, you know, I don't believe in being afraid of God anymore. I just can't believe that he is like an ISIS terrorist who will literally, like, set you on fire and flames for all of eternity. Um, And so if we let go of that and turn to the idea that God is love and nothing but love, that that is, like, the divine essence of God, what are other things that change? And so... Um, throughout the book, I hit a variety of topics. Um, I talk about how the narrative that we view the Bible as a narrative, how that can influence us and uh, shape our identity and our understanding of purpose and even our self esteem. Uh, and um, you know, you know, uh, gosh, I'm looking <laughs> at some notes that are scrolling by me. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, you guys are hilarious. Uh, yeah, so I cover all kinds of different things in the book, from eschatology to you know having a hopeful outlook on the future uh, to all kinds of really cool stuff, and it's all about uh, you know choosing to move beyond, not being stuck in this de- deconstruction process, not being stuck with well, I don't believe this anymore, but how do we go ahead and move beyond all that?
0: Yeah, well, can I kind of I'm going to follow up on that because that, that I'm so glad that you you're touching on that in your book because. Um, I know so many people, and I'm sure many of us do, uh, and some of them good friends of mine who kind of started on this road of deconstruction. And for some of them, the deconstruction started with, like, uh, what does church look like, you know, and should there be hierarchy in the church and ecclesiology and all that stuff. Uh, for some people, it was the Bible, you know, and then they realized, oh, my gosh, like, there's contradictions in the Old Testament and, um, you know, there isn't a cohesive you know, uh, narrative all the way through, and there are some problems with this, or whatever, and so, uh, and, and and various things like that, where they've started to deconstruct something mm-hmm. like that, and then that their deconstruction de- deconstruction process carries them all the way out the door, and the next thing you know, they don't believe in anything, they've, they have yeah. no faith at all, they don't believe there is a god, they don't believe Jesus ever existed, and and they're just kind of like yeah. stuck or marooned right outside of the faith. And so uh, I'm glad that you're addressing that. Can, can you touch on that a little bit? I mean, why do you think that is, or is there, did you, you, you mentioned you felt that way for a while. So like, what, what do you think is the secret or the key to that? Yeah,
3: well, it's, you know, there was a, a chapter I wrote that didn't make the final cut, and I turned it into a, a blog post the other day. Uh, and from that chapter, you know, I talk about how, you know, you know, the, you know, the, uh, deconstruction is like burning down a bridge. And there are some people and I don't know why each person is different. There are some people who are actually content to burn down a bridge and to stand in the vast empty space that then exists. And then there are some people who finish burning down the bridge and stand there and they find the moment to be completely yeah. empty. I was one of those people who arrived at that moment and looked out at the vast expanse where a bridge once stood and found that I was deeply empty and that I needed to rebuild something uh, because what made me feel alive was building something bigger and better than what had stood there before. So I think a lot of it um, really depends on the person. If you're the, the type who is content to just walk away into that empty space um, or if you're that type of person that you just have that DNA inside you that just has to believe, um, I find that you reach that point and you're just dissatisfied and that there will be this longing in your heart that you'll probably never, uh, probably never quench until you begin rebuilding something. And I was among that
0: second group. Yeah. So, you know, and what I've, what I've noticed too, and so I to see if you agree with me on this, because what I've noticed too, in some specific cases is that uh, often, if someone deconstructs, let's say, the scriptures and they find out that the Bible is not an error, not infallible, there are some errors and problems and questions about that. and then they fall away. I, I, to me, it feels like, well, your faith was in a book. Right, uh, exactly. or or some for some people they will they'll realize that oh my gosh eternal suffering isn't really in the Bible and mm-hmm. the Bible doesn't really teach that and God isn't going to burn everyone in hell forever and ever and that is what their faith was and like that's why they raised their hand and went forward and yeah. prayed the prayer and went, went to church every Sunday was because they really believed mm-hmm. that that was true and when they found out that wasn't true well then they didn't have any other reason.
3: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, so here the big problem is that so many of us grow up being taught like, hey, you have to defend the faith because if this is wrong, everything else is. I mean, I see Ken Ham do this all the time. Like if younger creationism isn't true, everything else is untrue. It's such a logical fallacy. But for some people who really believe it, when they find out one big thing turned out to not be true... They, they actually believe the people, you know, from their fundamentalist youth or evangelicalism who told them that if this one's wrong, it's all wrong. And unfortunately, it's this ginormous lie. Like one thing can be wrong and the rest can still be true. Um, and That's right. um, so I think that unfortunately it, it's a case of, you know, these people who want people to defend the Bible and to believe it, like shooting themselves in the foot by teaching them a lie. And that when one thing falls, it really does become a house of cards when it's there not it actually a freaking house of cards
1: yeah well, Ben, this is fantastic um, and, and I really appreciate your um, just your transparency and um, just your courage in the in the process of this. I know it's not easy, and I think people who've been down this road can tell you it's 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 very daunting. I actually heard somebody Ooh. recently talk about what the dark night of the soul is and kind of just uh, they, the way they put it was, you know when your faith is deconstructed, um and in a lot of times it's our our identity even though our sense of self
3: mm-hmm. yeah. is so attached exactly. to the
1: thing which is what you're referring to like that's why people fight tooth and nail to not deconstruct mm-hmm. sometimes because it's like this is scary it's a loss of our sense of yeah. reality but the dark night of the soul is this period in which your previous uh identity and ideology and all those things that we were attached to have gone away but that we don't know what what we're moving into. And so therefore it can feel like a chasm and it's a really, I just have found personally, like not getting attached to either phase, like, so not getting attached to what you're deconstructing or not even getting attached mm-hmm. um, to this, to this period. Like, I don't want to stay in that. I love how you said, I don't want to stay in this chasm either. I don't want to get attached to this and be like, this is my new yeah. normal. Cause that's, that's not where you're headed, you know, cause we're, we're still on a movement. So just kind of, you know, being open-handed and trusting the process and knowing that we're not alone in this and that, you know, I, I do love the scripture it talks about that that God is the author and perfecter of our faith and just kind of yeah. being guided so it, I just appreciate you for living this out doing it yeah. well and it's been an honor to have you on the on the yeah. happy hour
3: No it's been great to be here and even just some of those you know last few points that you bring up are actually all things that uh, I deal with in my book and being careful about getting your life and your identity um, from labels and from beliefs and, and how that can get us really tangled up. So, uh, certainly encourage folks to check out my book, Unafraid Moving Beyond Fear-Based Faith, if that kind of discussion is. Oh, that
1: you. absolutely. And where, where can people get in contact with you? Like, do you have a, like your website and, uh, um... sure.
3: uh, yeah, you guys, uh, anybody can find me, uh, all of my social media handles are the same, uh, at Benjamin L Corey. So Facebook at Benjamin L Corey or Twitter, Instagram, all those cool places where you can find me. And, uh, Certainly, uh, you can find me at BenjaminLCorey.com
1: awesome. as well. Beautiful. Thanks, Ben. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Ben. Yeah,
0: yeah. thanks, guys. I thanks appreciate a lot. it. Wow. You know, Benjamin Corey, I don't know, man. I disagree with everything that guy just said. Like, uh, who who is this guy?
2: Where do we find him? <laughs> Isn't he our boss? Oh, that's right. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, that's right. He's our boss on uh, Patthews.
2: No, just kidding. Ben, I agree with everything you said. Don't take down my blog. <laughs> you can take down... <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm yeah, joking. So. Obviously Ben is awesome. And, uh, other than that little, uh, sound thing going on there, which is a little annoying, uh, killer interview. Great guy. Um, love you, Ben. Please don't take my blog down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I, so, can can I say th- something about that sound thing yeah. though? For a sure, second. Please. Okay. So that sound thing, you know, like Ben had some great things to say for sure, but there was this annoying little sound thing that you kept hearing, like, you know, whatever it was, it's like the sound thing. And, you know, for a long time in Christianity, <clears throat> I would hear some really good things that, that people were saying about Jesus, about, you know, God's love, all these kinds of things. But there was this annoying, freaking annoying thing that kept, just kept hearing over and over and over again. And that reminds me of our topic. And now it's not just an annoying thing, it's actually, to me, the root of all mm. evil. But we can get into that. But I, I think that introduces maybe our topic today. Oh, yeah.
0: Hey, what an amazing segue, man. That was, that's
2: killer. Is yeah, you know, that pretty good? That was really good. It's like it's like you've done this before, man. <laughs> a couple times. Yeah. So so what what is our topic? Um, are Christians worthless sinners or accepted and loved by God? Are we um you know, this the this this, this hymn, Amazing Grace, we all know it. I love the tune, mm-hmm. but there's this line in it that I despise and it's and he saved a wretch like mm-hmm. me. Are we just are we just wretches? Are we are we dirty, dirty rags or are we accepted and loved by God? Um, yeah, and, and and Jamal, you think this is the the root of this evil? Is this identity crisis? A, am I interpreting you right when you say that?
1: Yeah, I think like a lot a lot of times people you know perceive Christianity or Jesus. You know, they say well, you know the I, the whole mission of Jesus is to remedy the problem of humanity. But then you start asking if you really start. Talking to people and go, what is the real problem? Like, what is the remedy? Like, what's the? If, in order to have like the right remedy, you have to you have to know, like, you, you know, if you go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't know the disease you have, like, it's going to be really hard to treat that disease. And I my understanding within Christianity is completely ignorant. At least today, most Christians are completely ignorant of actually what the real problem is. They'll say, "Well, sin's the problem." Then you start saying, "Well, what is sin?" They have no idea. They actually start they perpetuate the very problem in my opinion, that caused the entire that caused the entire problem with humanity. So in my opinion, this idea that we are we are fundamentally flawed as human beings is actually the root of the of the problem. And Christians just perpetuate it. They tell it in a different way, but it's act, they're actually perpetuating the bondage that I really believe Jesus came to liberate our, liberate us from the lie of in my opinion, Christianity is not only does it not remedy the problem, it perpetuates yeah. it through this belief in uh original sin, which is actually completely false
0: yeah, so yeah, instead of um and this is my frustration with it um it, it's what what we end up doing is we end up holding Christians in a permanent stasis where they continually remain worms and wretches, and we never allow them to move on to receive. Any kind of healing, or uh, you know, acceptance, or or anything that's that's available for us in Christ. Like again, the whole point uh, of what Jesus came to do was to to uh, bring us into the light, to bring us into the truth, to to bring us into this place of healing and restoration and transformation and all that. And how, it's like we don't allow people to move on to that and live in that reality because we keep them constantly reminded. Or you know we we want to anyway constantly reinforce this idea you're a wretch you're a worm you're a sinner you don't deserve it you're evil you're horrible and all there is nothing good in you right we just keep the keep repeating over uh, over other Christians or over ourselves uh, this thing that that keeps us in this place where we were never actually able to receive. The freedom and the truth and the light and all these beautiful things that that Christ came to give us.
2: Yeah, yeah. And- uh, Jamal, can I uh, before you before you jump in, can I push back a little bit and say that um, doesn't it doesn't it seem like there is some fundamental flaw, though? I mean, not not to the point where you know the Calvinists take it, where we're just completely depraved, yeah. right? And that follows Augustine's idea, where he develops this doctrine where we're just completely and utterly depraved. and this massa damnata, we're all doomed to hell forever. Um, okay, so that has its roots in that, and and I don't like it, and it doesn't seem to be the truth of the matter. However, on the other side, like like um, in Judaism, they they argue that you know we have these two yetzers. It's like the the angel and and demon on the shoulder. Um, so where where you know it's the yetzer hara and the yetzer hatav in, in Hebrew. But so they have this idea that we we're kind of I don't know balanced. Like we have both inclinations towards good and towards evil. So. If I interpret you correct, you are saying that there is no flaw in humanity, and I would say, yeah, it seems like there is a a flaw in humanity.
1: Yeah, let me clarify that, and that's a that's a great point. Um, you know, here is the traditional idea. You know, obviously, and this is not news to us, but most Christians are taught that okay, you are in Christ. You know, I was a wretch, now I am not. I was bad, now I am good because I am in Christ. But before you are in Christ, you are you are evil. Now that you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And so, therefore, God loves you. God accepts you. God can accept you now that you're in Christ. But before you were in Christ, um, you were bad. God despised you. You were unacceptable. You were not able – like, you could not be accepted. You were not okay. And so, that's the Christian message, you know. Come to Christ, because then God will make you acceptable to himself. Mm -hmm. That is – to me, that I believe is psychologically damaging. It's a very evil idea. I know that people don't mean it that way, but it causes many problems. So here's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that the the, fu- the fundamental problem, there is a problem with humanity, no question. And one of the things, and, and people can use the Bible to say just about anything. I don't think the Bible speaks with one voice with about anything. I think we've kind of covered that and talked about that on this podcast. So you can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. But I do believe within the scriptures Within Genesis, if you look at Genesis, you can see. I do believe that there's some inspiration going on there. I totally believe that. I think you can see, and again, I don't take it literally. The story, the creation story in Genesis, I don't. I'm not at a place anymore where I see that as a literal thing. But I do believe yes. that there, that there is something. There, there's something profound that's happening, that's unfolding, and what I do believe it does, and I, I, I see the inspiration in it is it's it's alluding in the story to the the beginning. So I think if you really want to know what sin is, you got to go back to the beginning and say when did it like when where do we how do we see it unfolding? And what you see is humanity, male and female created in the image and likeness of God. And then also, excuse me, what you see is that humanity made in the image and likeness of God was then questioned. There was a, there was a serpent, which represented a voice, a a voice of accusation. And this voice was saying, Oh, you know what? Like if you take this knowledge that's contained in the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if you take this, which is by the way, outside of yourself, it's, it's, it's something you don't have it right now, but you could, if you acquire this knowledge from externally, you could become like God. And so this was a, in, in that, in that statement, there's an assertion, and this is where it's sneaky. The lie, this is where humanity began to be afflicted. There's a lie that says, you are not like God already. So if, you, so it, that's, to me, that's it right there. That's the fundamental problem. Humanity did not know what they were actually like. So here's the thing. Jesus comes on the scene and I know I'm skipping over a lot, but Jesus is operating. I really believe from a place where he understands he's like God, but, but he's not understanding himself to be like God in a way that's different. I believe than anybody else. I just think he has a correct human understanding. So the, when, when he, he says, you know, before Abraham was born, I am, he makes these, he's literally using these, I am statements to equate himself with the divine. And then they try to pick up rocks to kill him. And then his response to that, he's like, well, "What well, for what good work are you going to stone me for? Like, why are you going to kill me? He's like, no, no, it's not for any good work that we're trying to kill you. It's because you being a man make yourself out to be like God or to be like you to be God, you know? And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not singling myself out here in some way that's undue. Doesn't the scripture say we are all God's? Hello. And again, I know that Christian, some people may be freaking out with that, but I honestly believe Jesus is saying he Christians have said, well, the Jesus can say that because he's the second person of the Trinity, but that's actually not what he said. He said, no, I'm saying this because the scriptures say that about all of us. Like we were all God, like we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And that's the fundamental problem. And I honestly, not to, not to be a shameless plug here, but I really believe that there's a real misunderstanding in the Christian vernacular uh, or or in the under, even the conversation about it. That's why I included this. There's a chat I think you know, regardless of what you think about my book, Free to Love. There's one chapter in this book called The Lie of Lack. It's chapter eight, and to me, that chapter, if I could just like plug the book for that specific chapter, because we really shed light on how that developed into. You know, false desire, like this idea that you're lacking, that's where all our false desires and grasping comes from. Most of the command, 10 commandments are about trying to restrain all these, what we call sins. These are, these are desires that become twisted as a result of the lie of lack. But to me, that's the fundamental root cause of human, the, the human problem is this belief that we are less than who we are. So from the very beginning, we were created in the image and likeness of God from the very start. And we just, didn't know that truth, and but when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. but that's what I'm trying to say here is like the problem is that we don't yeah. know that we are like God, that we act our truest essence is love like a God. Uh, that's where all the problems break down in my opinion. yeah
0: well i I would just want to say, um I agree with you as usual, <laughs> in theory in certain ways, but i i I think I see a little bit of a nuance slightly differently. so um like I agree, we're all made in the image of God. And uh, and I also agree, God loves all of us, every one of us, because we're his children, we're made in his image. I mean, how can you not love your own child who looks just like you? Uh, of course, he loves everyone, regardless. Um, but on, on the issue of, on, on, the, on the idea of like, well, everyone uh, is in the image of God and everyone is like God. Um, but I would say, in what ways are we like God? Or better yet, when are we like God? Because even though we may have the potential for being like God, we don't always uh, live into that and express that, right? So, uh, because evil is real, evil exists in the world and evil can potentially exist in us. We can do evil as well. I would say that when we are behaving in ways that are selfish and evil and oppressive of other people, in the, when we're doing that, no, we are not like God. We are not reflecting the image of God. And I think part of what Jesus is doing is is showing us and in, in the example of himself this is what god looks like when, when we are like this and when we are, when we do these things and actually jesus does this all through the sermon on the mount when he says you know if you if you love those who love you in return what credit you know is that to you everyone pagans do that unbelievers do that um you know love those even who hate you and bless those who curse you and he says when you do that now you look like your father in heaven because he lets it rain on the just and the unjust so i think what jesus is doing is clarifying. This is when we look like God. This is when we're behaving like the the image of God that is that is embedded within each one of us. Okay, um, but then there's when we are not like that. Then we are not living into that, and we're not being like God. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that?
1: Yeah, actually, I, I totally I totally agree. I think that there is a difference between essence and essence and action. So, for example. Yeah, if you if you aren't living from your essence, your actions are not going to be godlike. I totally agree. Like that—that's a. I think it's a huge point to make. If you believe, like you could, be, if if I'm told a certain thing, like I could be given an identity. Let's say I have amnesia. I get in an accident. I had develop amnesia. Someone feeds me this identity that's completely not mine. Then I may live from this false identity, but it doesn't make me. That doesn't make that false identity true. So many Christians I, I've heard so many times like. Well, because we we have fallen, we whatever you, they want to say, you you know, when we fell into sin, you become a sinner mm. in your essence, and I think that's really damaging. I think it's I totally disagree with that. I don't think our essence ever changes. Our essence in our true being, like we 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 always emanate from the source. If we didn't emanate from the source, which is God who is love, we would cease to exist. So we right. we our right. our true essence never changes. It's our understanding of our essence is what brings us into freedom, so we can live in a way that flows in harmony with our essence. But if we if we believe lies about our identity, then we, there is no harmony. This is why Christians, and I, this is why so many Christians live defeated lives. They live literally. I spent how many times? I mean, anybody who's been around evangelical, Catholic, I don't care what form of Christianity it is. The the by and large, it's a mm. defeated system. People live in this way in which they're always confessing sin, they're always, you know, woe is me, I'm so bad, I'm this. And and it's like, well, your your doctrine isn't helping you yeah. if you're living defeated. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is because they actually believe their essence is sinful. Mm. And that's the lie. That's why they never live in harmony with who they really are. But when someone comes to a to an understanding of the of their perfect divine essence, because we are divine in our essence. When we come to understand that, we start to live divine, which is what I really see Jesus doing, and we become like him in that way. So, difference between essence and action, for sure.
2: No, I, I like that. Um, I think that's a good distinction. I wa- what I wanted to chime in on was, um, you know what's interesting is when we go back to the book of Genesis, and, and we, we talk about original sin or what have you, or the fall, or as C.S. Lewis, I think, puts it, it's it's a bent, not a fall, um, which I like that better. But anyway, what's interesting is that no matter how we interpret the first couple chapters, what we notice is that the first time sin is mentioned, the word sin is um, where it's like sin is knocking on your door. And it's, a, it's when Cain is about to rise up and kill Abel. And so when we're talking about, well, what is our actions look like when we're like God? Well, if we're, when we're sinful, we're violent. It's the opposite. God, God is not violent. God does not partake in that sin. We do. That's when sin comes knocking on our door. So when we're actions are oriented toward God, it will lead to the nonviolence rather than violence. And you know, whether our sin comes from this fear of anxiety of death, like the writer of Hebrews uh, puts it, I think in chapter two, or whether um, sin is this mimetic, twisting desire, um, or whether sin, Jamal, like you said, is the lie of lack, as, as you put it. it. It leads to this place of violence. So sin, the, what we think about when we think about sin, needs to be associated with coercion, violence, power over, um, creating hierarchy instead of egalitarianism. All those things where it's one over the other where it's one violent over violence over the other, and coercion is always violent in its nature. Um, that's you know when we talk about action, that's the action of sin. That's not the, our action of God because God is nonviolent. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, I, I don't know. Just as listening to you guys talk about this, uh, um, I, I think it's one of these things where a lot of our a lot of our struggle is in our terminology, right? So, like I hear what we're doing right now is trying to define well, what is sin and what is. Uh, what does it mean to be in Christ, and what does it mean to be a Christian, or all that kind of stuff? And I think, I, I do think, yeah, we've sort of uh, we're the victims of the terms terminology that's that has been misapplied or you know misdefined. Like for me, <clears throat> the idea of like like going back to what something you said, Jamal, about you know, um, you know that you're we see ourselves as sinners, right? That's our identity. We're sinners, and uh, uh, it's like, well, even but we but we still admit that if we're, even if we're Christians, that we sin, right? First John 1, 9. If we sin, God is faithful and just to, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we're without sin, we're liars. All the, I think all that is saying is whether you are quote unquote a Christian or not, everybody does uh, have in them, right? This, this uh, corruption of the image of God. And um, we're either moving away from living in that, corruption or we're moving towards or staying in uh, this place where we're living out of this corrupted image of God. So it's not so much to me. I think part of the mistake is when we say, when we, when we think of it as, well, if I'm, if I'm a quote unquote Christian, now I'm not a sinner anymore, or sometimes we do this also, we'll say, I am a quote unquote Christian, but I still am a sinner I'm just forgiven, right? That that's still mentality. So the the best you can get is, well, I was a wretch and a sinner before. Then I became this quote unquote Christian. I joined this club or said this prayer or whatever, and now I'm a Christian. But I'm still a, a, a sinner. I'm just once in a while I can I can wipe it off, uh, but I'm still staying in my identity as a sinner. Um, instead of this is to me the problem is that is seeing that no our identity, that isn't our identity. That's not who we are. We don't stay there. and We don't continue to remain uh, in this perpetual place where we always look in the mirror and what we see is a wretch and a worm and a loser and a failure, and I'll never get it, right? And I hear this all the time. No one can do this. Uh, We even look at the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, you know, gives us as some impossible, unattainable thing. No one could ever love that way. And if you think that's what Jesus is trying to say, you have completely misunderstood his message. He's not saying, here's a list of impossible things that no one except me could ever do. He's saying, no, you can live this way. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to show you how to live this way. And if you are in Christ, see, this to me is the difference in terminology. If you are not, I'm not saying you're a Christian, meaning you said a prayer. I I mean I am in Christ. What does that mean? That means I am connected to Christ. I am living out of his life. I am, I am uh, allowing him to shape my, my conversations, my decisions, uh, the way I treat other people, the way I see him, the, the way I see God, the way I see myself. And that's what it means to me to be in Christ. And if I'm living out of that, then yes, I can. Turn the other cheek, love my enemy, bless those who curse me, forgive seventy times seven. Uh, I can live out of that thing. I can do those things, and the and the New Testament affirms this over and over again. That absolutely, yes, the grace of God doesn't just save us. You know, we think that oh, the grace of God is only that's just what saves us from our sins. Well, no, I mean, yeah, sure, I guess it does, but it also. You know, Paul goes on to say many times that the grace of God is what allows us, empowers us. He says in Titus um, to say no to those temptations, to those corruptions, and to say yes to the the, the life of Christ that's been revealed in us. So, um, I, I think what what I struggle with is that we we buy into this language, we buy into this 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 idea that we're wretches and worms and losers and failures, and then. It's not just buying into that language. It's it's thinking that this is how God sees me. That when God looks at me, He looks at me and says, "Oh, Keith, what a loser! Again, oh, again, you screwed up again. You sinned again. I'm so disappointed in you." But God is not ashamed of you. He is not disappointed in you. Um, That's not the way He sees you.
1: Totally. And I, but I honestly think that there's you're getting, and this is where the Bible's problematic. For people because it you're getting so many mixed messages yeah. in the bible you're getting people with shame-based mentalities you're it, so much projection going on and i the thing i actually heard a quote floating around out there uh, just recently by john crowder who made this quote and i really liked the quote i thought it was a there was something to it. he said um you know faith doesn't place you in christ hmm. faith helps you understand that you're in christ Faith, so it's like this. This it's like the reality is everything's in Christ. Because what is Christ? I mean, we're really coming down to like it's the the visible manifestation of the invisible Source God, and literally that's the entire cosmos. So this idea that something is separate from the Source, it's just. it is even scientifically impossible that it, something exists apart from its source. It just doesn't work. So the, the, the writers of scripture they are you know, obviously I feel like coming into inspiration and they're trying to put language around these concepts. It's very difficult, especially in the ancient world. So maybe I, my personal view is like, it can be helpful sometimes to take a step back and to say, okay, like let's not try to make the Bible like say what, you know, what, it what we want it to say. The, the the root of the essence the, the, the root if we even even apart from the bible apart from like i didn't human beings don't need christianity or religion to feel inadequate that's just that's all humans most human but it beings helps. But it helps it helps <laughs> religion certainly makes you it can make yeah god but there's so much projection that God thinks you're inadequate god thinks you're oh yeah you're this but I honestly I I think one of the most unhelpful words that Paul has ever used I have, if I have a bone to pick with Paul, I love the guy. I'm so thankful for his revelation, but he's, he's said some really unhelpful things. And one of the, one of the unhelpful things that he uses, the language that he uses is the word flesh. Mm -hmm. And to talk about the flesh as being sinful. Our flesh is not sinful. Our flesh is beautiful. Our flesh is, our bodies are miracles. And so much of like repression, sexual repression, all these, you know, the repressions of our bodies and all these things are just, they're not helpful. And I think Gnostic this is maybe we can get in some of the history here. And um, these Gnostic ideas that were floating around that the flesh is bad. The spirit is good. These are very prevalent today in Christianity and it's Gnostic and Paul. And again, the, the term Gnostic doesn't make it unhelpful. It's the fact that we're like taking our, our, I mean, if we just know about the human body, like it's a miracle, the whole thing's a miracle. Our bodies are miracles. We're like these beautiful creations. And, to to claim that our natural drives are are somehow you know sinful and bad and we need to restrain them. You know, it's only to in my opinion, the the beliefs of lack that begin to twist and change, you know, desire, legitimate desire to grasping, you know, because there's a difference, you know, sexual desire and then unhelpful lust. I mean, yeah, there's a difference, but like to me the, the, the difference is the idea of lack. Because why would anybody steal? Why would anybody lust? Why would anybody? Because it's ideas of lack. and That's a whole other subject. But the thing is, our inherent drives, our inherent flesh – all these things, these are beautiful. These are good. These are not a problem to be remedied. You know, God isn't angry with your flesh. And so to, to to equate flesh with sin is a really, really bad terminology that Paul used, in my opinion. And I think that's why we need to get away from that language and understand that Paul was a human. He had flawed thinking. And this is one area he, I feel like he was very flawed in.
2: Well, but I don't think he's being Gnostic is in his orientation, though. I, I don't think that's what Sarks means when he uses it. Um because he defines the works of the flesh in, in Galatians five. And and it's very specific. It's things like hatred and malice and wrath and strife and sedition. Um so
1: when when I agree, I just don't think he should call it flesh. I just don't think he should use the term flesh. Or or, or the translator should not have used that word because that's not the flesh.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not the flesh and it's I, I see what you're saying. I, I understand the propensity to um be really dualistic and, and Gnostic in our interpretation of that. Um, I just think it's, it seems like that's just, that's just our bad on, on interpreting that. And that's our so-called faith leaders bad. And that's, you know, some of our pastors bad and, and our bad too, you know, like um, we, we, we as human beings tend to read things through dualistic eyes. We just love our dualism And, and it's fine to get, from point a to point b take a left turn rather than a right turn right <laughs> but mm-hmm. but as far as like applying all these dualistic, yeah, I agree with you the the spirit is not good, and the flesh is bad that's that's b s you know because right. it's all God is one, God is the grounding of all being and everything that exists, so how can something that God holds together ever be bad like that that yeah. doesn't make any sense so i I agree with you in that, and you uh, yeah I agree. yeah. But yeah so I I, see I, think, what you're saying.
0: I think it's exactly like yeah Paul Paul's just I, I agree that it was, a, it was an unfortunate term to use flesh because it has it has added fuel to this notion that flesh flesh bad spirit right. good and I, I I agree I don't think that's what he was I think he was just grasping for metaphors or you know like how do I explain this he, I think he's just saying look there's uh, as, as we've already said that within us there are we have a we have a tendency towards things that are evil or we have a tendency towards things that are godlike or christlike and he's That's just trying right. to say and, but- if you do these things and he gives us a list Right. These are the yeah. things that are out of out of this other corrupted nature. Don't do that. Here's the things that are that are that more reflective of the Christ-like nature. Do that. Love, forgive, peace, joy, goodness, kindness, mercy, right? All those things.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of suffering. And I, you know, again, again, you know, going back and forth, like what did Paul mean when he, you know, all of yeah. But but what do many Christians understand it right now, today? So many Christians are walking around. Literally, I heard a respected guy. This is somebody who's even outside the, what I would call the religious institutional world, who basically described our condition on earth as these, you know, living, our spirits are carrying around dead corpses. Mm -hmm. Literally. That's this, this is like somebody who's like respected. And he was like teaching saying, we're like carrying around these dead bags of meat, these rotting, decaying flesh. And so here's our spirit. We're like alive in Christ and we're carrying around this dead flesh everywhere that that causes um psychological problems if you believe that if you really entertain that and not only does that it causes deep repression of your humanity and not only that i think it causes disease i actually think i believe there's enough evidence to say your your deep seated beliefs about how you see yourself actually can lead to physical maladies and that's a probably another we could do a whole episode on that yeah. but but many christians are sick people not just sick psychologically, but they're sick physically. And I think there's a correlation here. And I, you can look at the life of Jesus when when so many times when Jesus would heal a person physically, he would speak to their identity. I think there's a connection there. We're all connected. Uh, we're not just physical beings. We're spiritual beings. We're emotional beings. And so these ideas have implications and consequences. Um, and that's why I believe Christians tend to be very sick people in many ways because of this idea.
2: Well, yeah, that's that whole placebo effect. Um, you give someone a, a sugar pill, and why do why does their headache go away? Because they believed it would. Yep there, there's there's no there's no physiological reason in terms of the medicine because there is no medicine there. The medicine is your own brain thinking you're going to get better.
1: And I love the Orthodox view. The, the the Orthodox view, and I mean Orthodox, I'm talking about Greek Orthodox in Christianity, tends to view sin as a sickness, not as a penal kind of you know way of like, okay, law, lawbreaker kind of thing. They understand it to and, and a lot honestly, you know, I think that's why Jesus referred to himself as the the great physician. And many times healing would come uh would be so tied to identity issues. Um and I think there's there's a lot of truth in that. And so so a lot of things we'd call miracles, oh, this is miraculous this healing that people would experience what if the root of it, even when Jesus says you're going to go on and do greater things, a lot of times we're, we still are looking back to the physical healing, but what if the what if the greater works of healing that we're going to do as as people who are Christ-like are really getting to the root of the sickness I- at the very root, which is sin, which is, in my opinion, uh, be- false beliefs about our very essence and identity.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I mean – uh, I love this topic. I'm so glad we're even doing a whole podcast on this topic. I think it is so necessary, and I have in the real world, and even in our house church family, and just friends of mine, uh, run into this kind of language, and it's so destructive. Um, you know, when when you hear people. Especially people you love, and you can see Christ in them, and you know that you know there is so much good in them, and so much of Christ in them. And then there's they're talking about themselves, like, "Yeah, I'm a failure," and "Yeah, I'm a worm," and "Gosh, what a wretch I am," and "I'm never going to get it. I'm always sinning." And here, you know, here I am again, God, on my knees. You know, to, you know, to all of our worship songs reinforce this stuff, and our hymns and stuff reinforce this idea. And it's like I just want to see. Christians get free from this garbage, you know? Uh, there's, I want to recommend a book. There's a, an incredible book uh, called The Cure. It's a super small book. I bet you could probably read it in a day. Uh, it's by John Lynch, um, also by, I think there's a couple of other authors, the Bill, what's his name, Bill Thrale, Bruce McNichol, but essentially it's The Cure by John Lynch. Uh, look it up, Super, super easy to read. Our house church family went through this book together My friend Dan Naughty actually came and and walked us as a a church through this way, this kind of exercise. And it was so beautiful and so powerful. Like he had us all sit down first and write down on a piece of paper um, to describe ourselves. Who do I think I am? And people wrote down things like, uh, I'm I'm just like everybody else. I'm broken. Uh, I have an evil heart. Uh, I'm a wretched person. No good thing dwells in me. I don't measure up. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Uh, i'm a sinner i'm unlovable and literally these are things people wrote about themselves and then he walked us through this incredibly long list i mean we do not have time if i if i tried to read this list of scriptures for you we would be here another hour it's such a long list but essentially uh, we went through this thing of like how this is how god sees us this is who we are in christ i'm accepted i'm secure i'm a new creation i'm significant Um, I mean, and and every one of these, there's a verse underneath it. There's like 30 verses under each of those headings um, to back this up, you know, that according to Jesus, according to the New Testament, I'm a child of God. I'm a friend of God. I have been justified. I am united with Christ. I am one in spirit with Christ. Um, I belong to God. I'm a member of his body. I am adopted as his child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit at all times. I'm redeemed and forgiven of all of my sins. Uh, I'm established, anointed, and sealed by God. Uh, I mean, I'm just reading down the list here. This just this just keeps on going. I'm included. I'm blameless. I'm not condemned. Uh, I'm I have received the incomparable riches of God's grace. I'm blameless. I'm united with other believers. I'm free from condemnation. I'm not alone. Uh, gosh, it just goes on and on and on. It's like so. Here's the deal. Here's what drives me crazy. We have a scripture. First of all, we have a we have a Christ who came to set us free from all this nonsense. And he did. And he He affirms all these beautiful things about us and our identity, uh, that we are children of God, we are loved, we are blameless, we are accepted. We, we, we have this future, we have this hope. Uh, we have this reality right now that we can live into, right? Um, and we have a New Testament where this is also being reinforced over and over and over again. And yet, people who follow Jesus, people who say they, they, they read the New Testament are blind and oblivious to all of these unbelievable, incredible promises and blessings that are spoken over us in Christ. This is the other thing that drives me crazy too. There's, there's so many, there's, there's all these amazing verses in the Bible, right? Uh, there's, a, there's Romans, right? What can separate us from the love of God? Neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor over the future nor the past, all this stuff uh, can separate us from the love of God, which is in for us, which is in Christ Jesus, right? You know what doesn't happen right after that verse? Paul doesn't say, but you don't deserve it, you filthy worm and wretch. No, he doesn't even bring that up. Same thing in Ephesians, right? He He talks about how he prays that we could grasp how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ for us in Christ Jesus, that we could understand this love that transcends all knowledge. It just goes beyond even all the knowledge in the universe. If you had all the knowledge in the universe and you you still wouldn't be able to comprehend the love of God that is for you in Christ Jesus. And after that, Paul doesn't say, but you don't deserve it, you filthy, wretched worm. He doesn't ever bring it up. First Corinthians, right? First, first Corinthians 13 about what is love? He goes to this whole thing. Love is patient, kind, all these things about love, 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 love. Tells us what love is, how great love is, how amazing love is. And he doesn't follow that up by saying, but you don't deserve it but we do that we insert that we we say to ourselves the love of god is so amazing so incredible so transformative higher wider longer deeper than we can possibly comprehend it's so great and then we add in the yeah but i don't deserve it but we have to accept it it's it's like get get over the whole i don't deserve it nonsense so what you don't deserve it but you got it anyway It's all around you. You're immersed in it. Like it or not, you got it, and you can't get away from it because anywhere you go, you're surrounded by him. You're filled with him. He's everywhere. And just receive it and accept it and start living in it because this is why you were redeemed. This is why Christ came, is to reveal to you all of these amazing, beautiful truths about yourself. This
1: is who you are in Christ. And and people, and, and everyone is in Christ, by the way, Everyone. I just want to say that, like, there is no in and out. So, so, so the deal is like, understand that you're in Christ. Like, and if you don't, it's okay. You just won't live like it, but that's fine. You're still in. (laughs) So the thing is in the scriptures though, in the, in the Bible, there is a, there is a mixed message. And because people who are, who are taught the Bible, a lot of times are taught this stuff. Obviously it's it's another topic. It's a flat Bible, you know, like, so people will take scriptures things in the bible they'll say you know all your righteousness Mm -hmm. is like filthy rags you know that's Mm -hmm. that's in the bible too which is bullshit it's bullshit honestly it's not it's not true so somebody's projecting onto god their their own parents disapproval i mean if i'm going to get the psychology of it that's really what that is so 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 the idea like like that, that that your source that your creator the person who like literally that you're the expression of is looking at you as if everything is filthy rags. I mean, there's deep psychological drama. People need to get away from those passages of scripture. They're not helpful for you. They're not true. They're not good. It's just, it's, it's what it's like, and, and and people, and like, I honestly think it will help people to get away from the Bible for a few minutes. Like, let's just get away from this crap because here's the thing. I, I remember listening in the, um I remember listening to, uh, a politician during the presidential campaign and it was a very frank uh, and i was really proud of this guy for saying it he was like well you know what do you what do you say like like do you follow the bible you know like is do you use the bible to like make your best decisions and this politician said no it's like here's the thing i don't need the bible right. to tell me to love my family i don't need the bible to tell me that i should help my neighbor if you, if you need the Bible to tell you to be a decent human being, it's coming from obligation, which makes it actually not even uh, authentic. So for a second, you know, like take a step back and go, listen, the truth, like the way you're going to know what's true. And Jesus said this, he didn't say, you know, you got to reference it with a, with a scripture somewhere. It's like, come back to yourself. Like a good tree bears good fruit. And what is fruit? love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. These are self-evident things that are found within you. So if you find yourself like whatever, if there's a teaching about your identity that produces truth and produces love and patience and kindness and gentleness, it makes you more of a loving person. If there's something that about your if someone says something about you, if you hear something about your true identity that makes you feel good about yourself and therefore more a loving and kind person, that's probably true. And if there's something that you hear, I don't care if it has a Bible verse attached to it that makes you feel bad and shameful about your identity, you can throw it out because literally you know you're going to treat other people the way you perceive yourself. you cannot love other people if you do not believe that your essence is loving. If you believe your essence is wretched and sinful, that's exactly how you're going to treat other people. So, you know, I just think people need to step away, you know, gravitate to the things that enforce your good identity, and in the, in the in the Bible verses that enforce your wretched identity because they're there too. Yeah, throw them out, get rid of them. Right. You don't need it.
2: Right, and uh, Jamal, you you said something that was uh, that was deemed heresy, which is that we're all in Christ. And I'm right there with you, man. Um, But some are going to be like, well, what about those who haven't accepted Jesus and haven't accepted the forgiveness? And it's like, well, wait a minute. When Jesus, the risen Jesus comes back to us, he says, or, you know, not back (laughs) to us because we weren't there, but um, back to back to those who are up in the upper room. Forgive as I have forgiven you. Forgiveness from God Mm -hmm. is before we've done anything. And he loved us, therefore we can now love others. He's shown us how to love, and he loves us unconditionally in that way. So it raises the question, well, who's not forgiven? And if and if any sins are not forgiven, Mm -hmm. who's holding them against people? We are. It's not God. And it's like, man, this this whole this whole business of who's in and who's out, and all the well, we might not be wretched sinners any longer because we're in Christ. And it's like, so is everyone else. And You did, and, and if you really did nothing to receive that forgiveness, and I believe that, like I, I didn't, there was no condition I placed on God that that allows His forgiveness to flow okay. forth into my life. Well, therefore, I just need to give that away to all the others who are in Christ. Oh, just yeah. those who are in Christ? Yes, just those who are in Christ, yeah. because everyone's in Isn't Christ. Isn't there
0: verse it says that God was in Christ, reconciling <laughs> everyone to Himself, not counting men's sins against them.
2: That's yeah, in the context of Calvinism, though, so it's all well, the, the far, Calvinism. It's, it's all the. Yeah. It's all, yeah, yeah, God,
3: yeah. I don't
1: Sometimes I like to point out patience. Like, got love is patient. Like, well, how patient is that? If it's not patient, is it love? Of course not. If, <laughs> is there an end to the patience? Yeah. Is this a... Yeah.
0: And, does, and does love keep no record of wrongs? Can't find that record of wrongs. Where is it? Right. Forgive me my sins. What sins? I'm sorry. I didn't keep a list no. of those. Where are they? Where are you talking?
2: Right. Amen to that, brother. Yeah. So I guess it's time to wrap up, huh? Episode 15 was a doozy. I liked it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: Hey, there's a live recording coming up soon, by the way. I'm not sure when this is going to air. Hopefully, it'll be before, but yeah.
2: Yeah, March 10th. I'll be coming down there to you guys.
0: It's going to be amazing. Can't wait. March 10th. March 10th. March 10th. 10th. Market Calendar.